Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. If you removed all the uh, literature that came out of war times, that came out of trauma, that came out of difficult seasons of cultural history, uh, you, you'd have to be very little. <laughs> you know, you think about Hemingway, you think about Dante, you think about Frangelico, you think about, you know, all these masters who came out um, writing about their dark times. You know, they, they, these people are writing and painting and making sense of the world through beauty in, in times when they, you know, most people didn't even think it was, that was possible. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Welcome to the program. You're listening to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick. On today's program, the conclusion to my two-part conversation with Mako Fujimura, where we discuss how artists are gardeners called to till the soil of culture, how creating beauty in the midst of chaos and darkness doesn't require a budget, anyone can do it, and how a person made fully alive is the ultimate burning bush that God imparts to the world. Mako Fujimura is a visual artist whose works have been exhibited around the world, and he's the author of several books, including Culture Care, Refractions, A Journey of Faith, Art, and Culture, and his most recent book, Silence and Beauty, which combines reflections on Shusaku Endo's classic novel, Silence, with Mako's personal and theological reflections. Let's listen now to my conversation with Mako Fujimura on Restoring the Soul. You've also said that art can play a central role in making peace in the world. But how can the arts play a role in making peace? Yeah, and this seems so absurd to, so absurd to say that art um, is essential, especially in times like this. You know, when there's chaos and unrest, there's terror and fear and anxiety. And we say, well, we need you know, stronger military, or we need, you know, this and that. Um, but I, we actually need to step back and realize that uh, our culture has not cultivated this art of beholding, um, this art to pay attention to the fragile things around us, the mysteries that uh, beauty that, that um, is, fills the universe, despite the fact that we don't need them. 
Uh, there, there's no utilitarian purpose for beauty. Um, you know, the, and we, we should, uh, if we believe the, the pundits or, or the scholars, you know, um, discard those things that are unnecessary in order to, in order to survive. But that thought is the beginning of a, um, you know, this dark journey toward, um, not knowing what it is to be human to be fully human and alive. Um, and so, you know, I think it was Nenad Burstein, that, that uh, the, uh, you know, conductor who's, who said, in, in, in times of darkness, we, we, we need to actually amplify the experience of beauty and, and to, you know, go after it. I, I am paraphrasing here, but um, deeply, there, there's something deeply human about seeking beauty that when uh, you know and and in peaceful times or times we are very complacent perhaps we don't think about those things you know but but when things are being so forced in um into this trauma um and there's um, and there's just so much pain and suffering in the world um you know we we should provide for those who are in need, and that should be the least of what we do. But we also have to realize that compassion and beauty are two elements that um, can endure uh, these, these moments of darkness. And they may yet generate, generate something new into the world. And you look at the history of art, and, and literature. Um, if you removed all the uh, literature um, that came out of war times, that came out of tra- trauma, that came out of um, difficult seasons of uh, cultural history, uh, you, you'd have to be very little. <laughs> you know, you think about Hemingway, you think about Dante, you think about Frangelico, you think about, you think about, you know, all the masters who came out. Um, writing about their dark times you know they, they these people are writing and painting and and making making sense of the world through beauty in in times when they you know most people didn't even think it was, that was possible so these these are the people that um, I've learned from and and though it's certainly one of, one of those people so the pragmatist in me wants to ask you if you had an infinite budget and resources, what would it look like to wage peace uh, and to allow the arts to uh, to create peace um, in the midst of these really turbulent times? Yeah. So the beauty of this is that you don't need a budget to do it. It's, it's just every day your awareness and your appreciation and and your commitment to commitment to create midst of chaos and darkness um, that's all you need <laughs> so you're you're referring to not just a person who paints like you or a person who creates film or literature and therefore not artistic in the traditional sense but this idea that you get to in culture care the idea of generativity that we're all called to be creators and it's that generativity that um, that pushes back against the darkness. Say that's, more about that generativity. That's right. So, you know, 
if I had a, a huge budget to work with, you know, what I would do is is to go back to the basics of of education that allows young young children in in impoverished places to be able to have the basic needs met, but but that 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 would lead to um, experience of beauty for them, you know, and this this is you know kind of may 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 seem crazy may seem crazy but they vo- those vo- without voice um in this world that has been left untouched and and we we do nothing for them uh the least of these and um i i think that's that's what we need transformation um and the rest of us who um are doing reasonably well, you know, we need that experience of hearing the voices that, uh, that cannot be heard because of the constant uh, noise that is out there in our lives, um, that we we need to uh, get back to the basics. And But um, going back to culture care and generativity, Yes, this is a call for everyone. Um, just let's we if we are if we care about the environment and we are hiking and we we see a we see a coke can. We know uh, if if thousand people did that, the, the the trails will be clean, you know. And and that same thing with 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 culture is that if we care about culture, then rather than fighting over. <laughs> you know, this limited zero-sum game of limited uh, resource environment, uh, why don't we see the culture as a place of abundance and and care for it um, with very simple acts of um, kindness, but also tilling the soil uh, into the future so, so that the work that you do today, you may not see the result of, but you, your children and your grandchildren may benefit from you know, um, those, those principles still apply. They're very simple principles, you know, leave the place better than you, you, you came into it. And, uh, you, you know, if, if we can, if we can just begin to do that with, and see culture, not as us versus them, you know, culture wars assume that we have this culture and they have this culture and they have this culture and we, 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 we're fighting over it. But, you know, when you, when you really think about it, uh, culture is us. We 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 own. We need to own that. Um, every element that is that we're fighting against um, is is an element that is um, you know whether by via negativa of fighting against it. You know you're still within it, right? So so it's not as if you can eradicate that, which um, we 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 don't desire. It's it's a good instinct to want. Uh, you know, wholesome, safe for the whole family, kind of a, um, but in, you know, culture does not work like this. We, we are embedded. It's, it's far more mysterious and complex than we, um, we, we want to think. Um, so, so it's, it's better to see culture as a garden to take care of, you know, if there are weeds, Put it out, you know. It's still, uh, but but that means you. But that means you. You have to really oil the complexity of the soil and how you know there is no black and white um, 
judgment that you can make um, that is clear cut. You have to deal with the mystery of, of of that environment and and you know test things by the fruit of your labor um, and and learn each time um, that doesn't work. Uh, have this humble approach that that a you know a farmer or gardener will have toward toward their land. Um, and um, you know, not to rape the land for what you know utilitarian purposes, but to allow it to flourish so that all neighbors can flourish, not just us. Or you know, um, and and that attitude, you know. So I I think artists are gardeners who are called to till the soil of culture. You know, it's hard work. Um, there are many winters. Winters uh, we don't happening. <laughs> And and yet, um, when you know that you know in the spring flowers are coming up, you know that somebody invested in the, in that soil, and and that that work is worthwhile because that beauty can benefit everybody. So culture care is really it's a very broad concept, but it's an alternative to boycotting culture, resisting culture, which often takes on an arrogant form. Right, and there's nothing wrong with prophetically standing against. Um, the the cultural forces of darkness, um, and I, you know, this is not a war against cultural wars. You know, it, it it really is to affirm the prophetic instinct as well. And I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, you know, what Dr. King did in 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 his speech, his last speech the day that he gave day before he shot the mountaintop speech, is is just so profound because it it, it introduces not introduces but it, it affirms this idea that that talk about war and peace all day. You know, but we're at a point in our culture where it's either nonviolence or non-existence, <laughs> and if that's the case, you know, we kind of stepped over the boundary of human existence to 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 now we have to deal with this um human instinct toward imperialistic you know um triumphalism to to capture the land and win at all cost if we if we're at a point where that is self destructive ultimately then we have to create another way of even resisting against the forces of darkness. And that's part of culture care is that, you know, do we care enough to think about the enemy, you know, and, and to think about uh, what is causing this demise and, and its um, sickness that we, that we inherit as, 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 as a culture? And, and how are we to... Um, create a, a, a new conversation that affirms diversity, that does not as, assume that um, you know everybody can agree on on these issues, um, but but to be able to um, have this flexible um, way of not just coexisting, but, you know, I call this cultural, cultural estuary in the book, Culture Care. Um, estuaries are not homogeneous. It's, it's fantastically dangerous place, heterogeneous, um, with many competing elements, but it, that's because, that's why it's, it's so abundant and delicate and it, it feeds the, the creatures that are, going upstream and then it nourishes them as they go back to the ocean. It is the most fantastic uh, like, um, 
most important part of the ecosystem. And, and so we, we need more cultural estuaries where we, we can um, affirm the differences as well as what, what we're for. Mako, you recently accepted a position at the Brem Center at Fuller Theological Seminary. And is the emphasis with there so that you can expand um, the role of culture care yeah, in your calling? Yes, and, and I'm so delighted that President Mark Labaton invited me with this crazy idea uh, to be an artist in the midst of a seminary, a major seminary, the largest seminary in the world, and uh, to have a studio space there to work with fellows that I get to pick out and um, the other artists in residence and good people that have for years labored to care for culture um, there and scholars and theologians and you know psychologists and um, so 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 we're for our next summit in February February eighth through twelfth in Pasadena, where we bring together elements of uh, soul care with uh, cultural care. Um, I would love to have you there with us um, and to start to integrate uh, theological formation with spiritual development and formation with cultural formation. What would look like if if, uh, one community, one person held these integrated points and bring that into the world? Um, And I'm very excited about the possibilities. I'm already seeing in a short time, I'm there winter quarters and I spend the rest of the time in Princeton studio, but... um, I'm seeing fantastic results from even the um, short time that we, we, we've been uh, doing this. And um, uh, this is, I, I hope, uh, will be a resource to resource to out there, um, theologians and pastors, but also people in the pews, people uh, in, in you know entrepreneurial business practices, uh, people who are serving, people who are, working around the world um, and and that um, they will feel empowered to seek beauty when you know and, and and also to understand that theological integration of the gospel foodie person foodie made alive is beautiful that that's the ultimate enigmatic burning bush <laughs> that God imparts into the world. And every single person has the capacity to be that burning bush. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, you're walking burning bushes, you know, and communities burning with this uh, paradoxical reality of upholding something that is so orthodox and traditional and traditional and yet even new. And, you know, that, that kind of communal, communal, um, and I, I, I think that may be the ultimate artwork uh, that we can be involved in. It sounds like uh, that vision will profoundly expand the conversation about the story of God and the beauty of so. that. I think so. So the backdrop to cultural care is that I had written, um, aside from what you read in cultural care, these chapters that I gave lectures to all sorts of audiences, not just within the church, but outside the church as well. Um, There are 
spiritual and theological premises that go into each of those um, that I don't reveal. Um, and so I'm working on another book called Theology of Making, which um, which may take take me three years to finish. But but it it is about what we talked about the, the whole narrative of of, of the Bible, uh, the the good news, that, good news that from creation to new creation, that that allows for us um, to understand the story of God, as you, you say, there's this vast reality of mystery that we're just tapping into, I think. And um, artists and makers have a particular intuitive knowledge that needs to be part of the theological discourse. And so what I'm trying to do is not just to bring artists into the conversation, but have them lead in this discussion um, because they hold this integrative knowledge that uh, you know um, to me uh, essence of both creation and new creation I think it was Bono and interestingly I remember this from Rolling Stone um, he said that maybe in the mid 90s I read that the artists are the prophets of yes. the future yes. the future I was like that's what you're talking about um, that that when Beauty and the story of God is presented in that in that kind of way. It just sounds so compelling, and I can't imagine um, a person who's not a follower of Jesus, but whose heart is alive. I can't imagine them not being compelled by that vision. Right, and that's that's what I keep insisting on. Is this is not just for artists and you know people who have the means to buy art or. Um, this is for everyone, and um, especially those who are marginalized and oppressed and and today persecuted. Um, they they need um, to know that their voices do matter. Um, that there is artistry. Um, that if we can all collectively work toward uh, toward uh, expression, that allows for. Uh, these voices to resonate uh, in in the the most important decisions being made today in the world, then yes, it 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 profoundly changes how how we view the world, how we view politics, how we view um, the academic um, discourse, um, and I I think that's that's what. Uh, uh, potentially, what culture care conversation, and and this is um, a charge that I I I believe we are uh, given at uh, Brem Center. We've been speaking broadly about culture and the world, but I want to bring it back for a moment as we wrap up to the personal. In Silence and Beauty, you have a chapter called Ground Zero. And you share your story of 9-11, living two blocks from the towers where the planes hit. You also make reference to Hiroshima, the original Ground Zero, where you've spoken. Um, tell me about why you integrate writing about your own trauma in your work, and also how Ground Zeroes are, as you say, a universal condition. Yeah. So, uh, actually, I was just... Um communicating with uh, a fellow artist friend in, in Paris and uh, his Japanese artist who 
you know, waking up each morning with anxiety and, you know, trauma um, of what's happening in, in France. And I remember writing this sentence, and I, I'm still owning up to it. Um, and it, it comes from um, another book um, that I read that a pastor recommended me to read. And um, it, it's about this dream that this one pastor had uh, after losing everything his his wife his mother i think his daughter is in a single automobile accident automobile accident and he had this dream recurring dream of his chasing after the sunset over and over and then his i think it was his sister who said but you're going the wrong way <laughs> if you want to meet the sun sunrise you go the other way you go into the darkness <laughs> It's, it's a really profound message and one that I fail to do often. Um, I, I keep running away. Um, and so writing for me and painting for me is, is to go into the darkness, you know, to know that I don't know what I'm doing and, and I'm not capable of surviving this. But I, I, I just have to, if I'm going to make a step, um, let's do that. <laughs> and over the years since nine eleven, um, actually, it started um, for me post depression that I I went through after I heard about Columbine High School uh, here in Colorado, and I just had this deep angst about it. I just realized that there was something so much deeper. And um, and this darkness encroaching, you know, us and and so I began to paint images about that, and then nine uh, eleven happened, and I, you know, I was forced to be ground zero to, um, resident, and then my kids, growing up there, became ground zero children, you know, and then realizing that. My grandfather, uh, as a scientist working for the government, had to observe Hiroshima um, a week or two after the bombing, and he could never talk about it. That link of generations going back to Endo's to Endo's generation um, post atomic devastation and trauma uh, that Japan is, I think, still recovering from. Um, those things they, they, that I wanted to run away from <laughs> um, kept on uh, coming up, uh, obviously, as I wrote this book. And um, so, I, as I said, it's not something I want to do, um, but um, I'm, you know, after going through through the process, I'm glad for it because it's it's something that I discovered um, things that I, I would never have discovered otherwise and um, and that experience I'm realizing is so much more important today so you know this is what I would say to people who are going through trauma right now is 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 that story of you know let's as artists um, turn back and and to find that sunrise on the other side and 
I want to journey with them so that um, they can do the same. Um, we don't know what the result of that is, um, but um, I think that journey will be profoundly important for the for the world uh, future uh, generations. And uh, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, you know that you know we can only do so little for for them. Um, but at the same time, you know the the power of creativity and this reality of um, love, right, that flows us flows us into this creative uh, reality is what God will use um, to uh, hold the world together, all together. And uh, so, this is this is a journey that I've been on, and 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 um, you know, part of what I try to do when I lecture or when I um, teach or uh, when I mentor people is to um, try to do that, to be alongside. I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness to your calling that has so many diverse aspects to it. And my hope is that uh, many more people find out about your books and your writing through this interview. So Mako Fujimura, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at RestoringTheSoul.com. dot